Welcome back to the Meliora Mentor Podcast. This is our pregnancy episode. I do one pregnancy episode and one mindset episode a week, and this is our pregnancy one. Today, I actually had the privilege of interviewing my own OBGYN about bleeding and pregnancy. Have you ever had bleeding and pregnancy that you were concerned about or wasn't sure why you were bleeding? In today's podcast episode, we go deep into reasons you may have some bleeding in pregnancy. Thanks for listening, thanks for sharing, and thanks for implementing what is taught. Hi, I'm Jocelyn, the host of the Meliora Mentor Podcast. Meliora means better in Latin. I encourage better thoughts for a better you and a better life through taking small steps in thought and action. I help pregnant women and mothers to find positivity in their season of life through changing their thoughts to work for them and not against them. I help mothers find the small, doable steps without making drastic changes to their everyday life, and I can help you. Thanks for joining. Hey, welcome to the podcast. Today we actually have my own OBGYN, my doctor, Dr. Adams. He's delivered two of my babies, was supposed to deliver three, but the third one came really fast. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And the nurses barely had time to catch her. Um, But he's an awesome guy and very educational. And today we're going to talk a little bit about bleeding and pregnancy. Um, First, I want to introduce Dr. Adams just a little bit. Dr. Adams grew up in good old Shelley, Idaho. After abandoning early forays in logging and construction work, and after a church mission to Ontario, Canada, he graduated from Idaho State University, Des Moines University, and Henry Ford OBGYN residency program in Detroit, Michigan. Missing family in the mountains, he returned home to Idaho Falls to practice. At work, Dr. Adams and Dr. Adams enjoys teaching, talking, and joking with his patients. And he does joke with his patients. He tried to stand on the scale to make me heavier when I was there last time in his office. Um, But while at home, his impassions include spending time outdoors, snowmobiling, dirt biking, and boating. He enjoys laughing with his family, taking his boys to wrestling practice, and tinkering on old trucks. He is married to his hometown crush and is the father of five amazing kids, three boys and, and two girls. So thank you for coming on the podcast, Dr. Adams. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, we appreciate it. Do you have anything else you want to add about you that you would like to share with our audience? No, I'm, I'm pretty simple. That sums it up, I guess. <clears throat> <laughs> Sounds great. Um, today we're going to talk about bleeding in pregnancy, when to be concerned and when to not be concerned or what, what's kind of okay or what to look for. So I wanted to start with implantation bleeding. Can you tell us a little bit about that, why that happens, how often it might happen, and is it a concern? Uh, I will try to uh, give you some good depth without uh, going too far uh, into the boring stuff, but... Um, implantation bleeding uh, usually occurs very, very early in pregnancy, usually, uh, uh, around two to three weeks can be up to four weeks, but it's usually pretty early in pregnancy. And it has to do with these specific type of cells that are part of the pregnancy. They'll, they're called syncytial trophoblasts. 
Um, not that that's important, but um, their job is to enzymatically eat away at the lining of the uterus uh, to kind of signal um, a place for the pregnancy to implant uh, where the placenta will eventually form. And so um, technically, implantation bleeding technically happens with everyone. It's just a matter of the amount and does it actually escape the uterus, right? Um, mm. So when implantation happens correctly, you don't usually get a lot of that uh, bleeding. If there's any kind of hiccups or anything like that, even even any kind of changes that won't affect the long-term status of the pregnancy, then you can sometimes have some, uh, what we typically would refer to as implantation bleeding, where the, the lady actually experiences vaginal bleeding. Um, usually implantation bleeding is lighter. Um, it's not usually... Uh, bleeding like a heavy period. It's usually more bleeding like a light period and or even just spotting. Um, and it's usually not associated with significant cramping. Mm, so is it a concern if they have some of that bleeding or is it just something that kind of happens and then goes away? Well, it's definitely a concern. Me, myself, as a provider, I would always like my patients to be able to reach out to me when they have symptoms like that, even if I can reassure them. And even if the bleeding is not significant enough that any tests or any exams need to be done, but I would always like my patients to reach out to me as a provider so that I can give them kind of some advice and some, some prognosis in regards to how to proceed. Um, I would say specifically when we're talking about bleeding and pregnancy in general, um, it's quite common. Um, there are different studies um, that are out there, but um, some studies show up to 10% uh, uh, of pregnancies will have uh, bleeding. Um, other studies show up to 20 to 25% of pregnancies will have some bleeding. And this is not we're talking about pregnancies that make it to term, right? We're talking about normal pregnancies. So uh, bleeding can be quite common. So it's not always something that we get really, really worked up about or really concerned about, but we definitely want our patients to feel like they should contact their um, OBGYN provider um, with, with any kind of bleeding in pregnancy. Gotcha. Um, so that kind of leads me into the next part. Um, um, like to let your provider know, but also like, does, does the bleeding in pregnancy? So, so <laughs> let me see if I can phrase my question. Right. Um, at first it could be implantation bleeding, but as the pregnancy goes on a little bit farther, does that always mean that miscarriage is going to happen? If you start bleeding, like, I don't know, week nine through 12, does no. it always uh, mean a mis miscarriage or. No, actually very, very rarely. Right. More commonly. Um, more commonly, uh, bleeding uh, is not associated with a miscarriage, if that makes sense. So mm. um, I guess I need to clarify that. Uh, anytime that a lady has a miscarriage, there can be bleeding, right? But um, there are at, at least probably in, in, in some studies, in some estimations, half of the women who do bleed in pregnancy. So let's say that there's um, 20 out of 100 ladies will have some bleeding in pregnancy. Out of those 20 ladies um, that have bleeding in pregnancy, less than half will actually miscarry. Oh, wow. I didn't know the statistics were like that. Yeah. So when you look, and those are rough numbers, right? But they're pretty yeah. close. 
some of the more recent studies show. And there's some really good information online um, at, at ACOG, the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecologists. They have a patient information section that goes over some of these things too. It's really, really awesome for patients because it's free for them. Um, yeah. But but at any rate, um, you know, if, if we're not talking about just implantation bleeding, if we're talking about other sources of bleeding, especially in the first trimester, um, usually as a physician, when they're training you, they teach you to think about bleeding in pregnancy um, as early bleeding in early pregnancy, which is bleeding in the first trimester, and then bleeding in the rest of the pregnancy, was, which is any bleeding in the second or third trimester. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, so bleeding in early pregnancy or bleeding in the first trimester can be from a multitude of different things, including, I just read this um, kind of neat new um, uh, study uh, in one of the editorial um, publications that get sent to my office about um, corpus luteal cysts. Corpus luteal cysts are a small little uh, kind of formation of some cells that usually form in the same ovary that releases your egg. And if the egg gets fertilized and the pregnancy implants, the job of that corpus luteal cyst is to produce progesterone for the first um, seven to eight weeks, eight to nine weeks, nine to 10 weeks, until the placenta and the pregnancy is big enough that it can produce its own hormones. Um, the unique thing about that, uh, that I was reading in the article, is it was thought that the corpus luteal cyst was really important even up to like 10, 11 weeks. And now they're finding um, um, that the corpus luteal cyst, um, will even take over, um, it, uh, excuse me, the pregnancy will take over the job of producing progesterone, um, in the pregnancy, even as early as seven or eight weeks. Um, but the significance of this is if the corpus luteal cyst regresses or goes away before the placenta and pregnancy is completely ready to produce it on its own, Sometimes you can have some spotting during that period of time. And we would call that like transitional bleeding or something like that. Does that make sense? And mm. that, could, that could happen around seven, eight weeks, eight, nine weeks, right? Which would be much later than we would see implantation bleeding, right? Yeah. Um, so things like that, that can explain uh, bleeding in early pregnancy that's not associated with a miscarriage. Um, another thing that's a very common cause of bleeding in early pregnancy is just bleeding from the cervix itself and not actually from the pregnancy. So um, I, I'm kind of a history nerd. I like that kind of stuff. And I especially like medical history. Um, but way back in the day, before we had good blood tests or urine tests or ultrasounds to uh, pregnancy, um, there was this um, sign that physicians would look for. Um, in a lady's cervix, it's called the Chadwick sign. And it, it is basically a sign where the, the, the cervix develops this purplish hue uh, because of all the significant increase in blood flow to the cervix. Um, also, you see a little bit of what we call extropion, which is where the face of the cervix kind of everts a little bit during pregnancy. And because of that, the cervix is very sensitive and can spot and bleed just from the cervix itself. So, um, you know, after intercourse, after a heavy bowel movement, after a pelvic exam in the office, um, it can, this, the cervix can be sensitive enough that you can have spotting from the cervix where the bleeding is not even coming from the pregnancy. So there are kind of a multitude of different 
causes of bleeding in early pregnancy that doesn't always mean miscarriage. Um, also, there's a small percentage of bleeding in pregnancy that never gets a diagnosis, right? Um, we call that idiopathic bleeding in pregnancy. And uh, after even after a big workup with imaging and exams and uh, blood tests and all these things, sometimes we don't ever get um, uh, a, a reason or a diagnosis. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I didn't know that there was so many reasons that you could bleed during pregnancy. I always thought it was like terrible and you're probably going to miscarriage. So this is enlightening information to know that it's not always going to lead to a miscarriage. Um, but you you would, um, and I like the history of it too. That's really fascinating. Um, you would recommend though, if women do have bleeding in early pregnancy to contact their provider? I do, yeah. Well, partly that's my personality, right? I like my patients to feel like they can bounce those kind of questions, concerns off me because sometimes um, they'll be sitting at home with some light spotting or some light bleeding and they'll be really worried and nervous. And sometimes all it takes is a phone call or a visit and I can reassure them, reassure them pretty significantly just with simple amount of um, uh, some questions and a little bit of an exam. Does that make sense? And yeah, so for, sure. for me, it's not like, you know, if, if a patient has bleeding in early pregnancy, there's really no specific treatment for it, right? We don't have any medicines that stop bleeding. We don't have any treatments or surgeries that stop bleeding in early pregnancy. But the benefit of seeing your provider is, is, the, is the answers. It's the workup. It's the reassurance, right? So that you can say, okay, now I know that if, if A and B and C all looked good, that this is more likely just bleeding in early pregnancy from my cervix or from the transition of the corpus luteal cyst or from implantation bleeding. And we can reassure ladies so that they don't have to feel quite as anxious and upset, which is very easy in pregnancy because of the fluctuation in hormones. Well, not just the fluctuation hormones, but your thoughts. And then when you go check Google and you're like, oh my gosh, Google yes. says everything's bad Doc and I'm going to die. And so is my baby. And <laughs> What was, oh, Dr. Google. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes our minds get going crazy and, and you're right. Sometimes that, and that peace of mind in talking to your doctor is, is definitely like super valuable. I know yeah. I've used that before. Um, I, I always tease my patients. Um, I, you know, I, I actually think that some of the information online actually can be a good resource for ladies. And I actually do encourage my patients if they want to, um, to, you know, become educated and get as much information as they can. What I do ask them to do is to use me or their provider to help put it into context. Cause a lot of the information you're going to get online is correct if it's from a reliable source, but it's a matter of putting it into context, right? Um, I mean, clinically putting it into clinical context. Um, so it's just interesting that, um, all the information that's floating around in my cobweb brain, you can find on the internet, right? The, the benefit of my training is that I can help my patients put it into context. Yeah. And to understand it and to, I don't know, soften it or help you get through it a little better than just your mind going crazy about <laughs> everything yep. that might be wrong with bleeding in pregnancy. Yep. Okay. So I thank you. I appreciate that. Um, we've talked about bleeding at the beginning of pregnancy. And like you said, the first trimester, and then you mentioned that the rest of the pregnancy is kind of grouped into the second and third trimester. Are there common bleeding that happens in the second and third trimester that, um, women can be aware of? 
Yes. So obviously, once you get out of the first trimester, we would no longer blame any kind of bleeding or spotting on uh, implantation bleeding or on like the corpus luteal cyst regressing. However, bleeding from your cervix can happen the whole pregnancy, right? And so when we talked about that, that term cervical ectropion, right, or that Chadwick sign, um, that those things can uh, kind of sometimes cause women to spot through their pregnancy. Um, other things that are more significant as far as bleeding um, outside of the first trimester would uh, be problems more associated with the, the pregnancy itself. So definitely bleeding in the third trimester or second or third trimester definitely has seems to have more consequence than bleeding in the first trimester. Um, uh, they, they, again, I think back to my training as a student and a resident, right? And when you're preparing for your board exams and things like that, they teach you to think about bleeding in the second and third trimester into two categories, painful bleeding and painless bleeding painful bleeding is usually associated with either abruption which is where the placenta separates from the uterus before it's supposed to and that can cause bleeding inside the uterus and vaginal bleeding which usually promotes pretty significant contractions and so usually when you have significantly painful bleeding where you have significantly bad contractions that are timeable or really, really bad back pain that's coming and going and you're having bleeding with it, we worry about the possibility of abruption. Um, there are different risk factors for abruption like trauma, motor vehicle accidents, falls, um, these kind of things. Also, there are uh, specific types of substances uh, or uh, things that can increase our risk of abruption like uh, smoking during pregnancy, uh, substance abuse uh, during pregnancy. So things like amphetamines or cocaine or things like that. Thank goodness. Um, most of my patients here are pretty boring and I don't have to worry about that in Detroit. That was not the case. <laughs> I, I, saw <laughs> I saw a lot of that in my training in Detroit where uh, some of my patients uh, unfortunately were abusing some of those substances, but so abruption is definitely a, a major concern, right? When we have painful uh, bleeding in, in, in later pregnancy. Um, and so the other type of painful bleeding that we can get later in pregnancy is actually bleeding from your cervix. When you start to go into labor, um, we use this lay term of bloody show. You've heard of this before. Yes, and I have. And this is a term that we use to describe some bleeding and spotting that can come from the cervix as it starts to dilate, right? When you think about how crazy the human body is and that this thing we call the cervix, um, which is kind of the gatekeeper to the uterus, can go through such dynamic changes where it can, you know, in at one minute be completely closed and thick and then within hours dilate to 10 centimeters to let a baby through. And that's kind of a miraculous thing, right? And when you think about the changes that it has to go through and how fast it has to dilate, it's not uncommon for there to be small little micro tears in the cervix as it dilates that bleeds. And we refer to that as bloody show. And so sometimes painful bleeding in pregnancy is not necessarily a sign of abruption, but could just be a sign of labor or early labor. When you say abruption, does that mean you're likely going to lose the baby? It depends on how fast it's recognized. And it depends on whether or not the abruption continues, meaning the placenta continues to separate or whether or not only a portion of the placenta separates and then the rest of the placenta remains stable. 
So what can happen sometimes, especially in uh, situations where there's significant abdominal trauma, you know, a very significant motor vehicle accident, that kind of thing, the baby almost always is protected because it's floating around in that bag of fluid, the amniotic sac. But the placenta will take the brunt of that trauma because it's the attachment for the baby to uh, the mom, right? It's basically the only form of attachment. So um, those shearing forces on the placenta can make parts of the placenta separate, but doesn't necessarily have to make all the placental separate. So we can sometimes see cases where a lady will have a partial abruption, which is where some sort of trauma happened or some sort of, um, you know, I mean, it can be from different things, but anyways, the, the process where part, a small portion of the placenta separates and there can be some temporary bleeding. And then some ladies can continue uh, with the pregnancy and even deliver at term. So it just depends on how severe the separation of the placenta is, whether it's only a small portion of the placenta that separates or whether there's a larger portion of the placenta that separates. Generally speaking, if it's a severe abruption where a larger portion of the placenta separates, usually it's kind of an emergency. Usually the mom and the baby have a limited amount of time for the baby to deliver safely before the baby would no longer have um, the ability to get blood and oxygen and nutrients um, through the placenta. And so usually uh, placental abruption is somewhat of an emergency. Uh, it should always be evaluated in the hospital by your physician. Um, that's where, you know, when we're talking about um, that the amount of bleeding and the other symptoms that are going along with the bleeding matters a lot for women in regards to how they should follow up with their physician and how they should present to the office or the hospital. Yes. And I think this information is really good um, because I had some bloody show with my second baby and I was like scared. <laughs> I was really scared because I didn't, I wasn't super educated on pregnancy and birth at the time. I think I was crying in your office, like really upset. And, but having some of this awareness, I think we'll be able to help some of these pregnant women to realize that uh, some of this stuff is kind of can come from the cervix or other things you've mentioned and isn't is I don't know, concerning. Um, I did want to go back to one more point and then we'll kind of close up. Um, you talked about the painful bleeding and the painless bleeding and the painful bleeding being an abruption. What, what would be an example of like the painless bleeding in the second and third trimester? So painless bleeding, what we'd refer to could be associated with some of these other things we talked about, right? Like just bleeding from the cervix, right? With like cervical, oh. but uh, more commonly painless bleeding is thought to uh, be placenta previous. A placenta previa is a term we use to describe when the placenta attaches uh, close enough to the cervix that um, there can be bleeding behind the placenta that can leak out of the cervix. Um, when we call that painless bleeding, um, we say that because that type of bleeding uh, doesn't necessarily have to come with any uh, contractions or pain. So um, mm. when, when the placenta completely covers the cervix, that's called a complete previa. Um, and that is uh, definitely a situation where um, uh, cesarean delivery is recommended. Um, usually it's just the cesarean delivery is performed early too. The problem with placenta previous, both complete and partial, is as the cervix starts to dilate and uncovers more and more and more of the placenta, there's the risk of hemorrhage uh, for both the mom and the baby. And so uh, placenta previa, 
um, like we said, either uh, complete or partial would kind of cover that category of pain, painless bleeding, right? Um, usually that's diagnosed by ultrasound. So um, usually in my office, we start looking at placental location as early as the anatomy scan at 20 weeks. And the significance of that is twofold. Number one, it helps us uh, sometimes identify these problems early so that we can counsel our pregnant ladies and give them a heads up of what they might be facing later in the pregnancy as far as symptoms. But also number two, um, it, it, it helps us follow it um, to make sure that it's actually going to stay a previa. What I mean by that is as the uterus grows and stretches, sometimes the uterus will naturally pull this placenta further and further away from the cervix. And so what can sometimes look like a previa at the 20 week anatomy scan by 28, 30, 32 weeks in the pregnancy, if the uterus is stretched enough, it can pull the placenta away from the cervix where a vaginal delivery is possible. And there's no concern for um, cesarean delivery or even bleeding in pregnancy. Wow, that's super cool. Super fascinating. Um, do you have any other uh, kind of tips or not, maybe not tips, but insights on that you'd like to share with bleeding and pregnancy before we close up? Yes, I do. Um, this is something that I have mentioned to a lot of my patients before, but this is something I kind of feel strongly about. Sometimes in medicine, we get so clinical, we get so scientific that we forget about like the human part of medicine, right? And I feel like um, for me, um, as kind of a more spiritual or religious person, whatever you want to call me, I, I think it's amazing. Uh, the, the female human body is amazing, right? The fact that you guys can make a baby, grow a baby, deliver a baby and feed a baby with your body is insane, right? <laughs> it's a miracle. <laughs> Pretty neat thing, right? It's, it's a miracle. And what I try to make my patients remember is that I believe that uh, pregnant moms are gifted with um, special intuition. Um, you can call it like a gut feeling. You can call it inspiration. You can call it whatever you want. But I always try to encourage my moms to trust themselves. If they're having symptoms in pregnancy that are making them concerned and worried, trust themselves. Take the concerns to your physician, get the workup, get the answers, right? Um, I find that that's a big thing that a lot of moms are not necessarily willing to, um, they're not really necessarily really willing to trust themselves or to listen to that little voice uh, in their head or that little feeling um, that, hey, something might not be right here, right? Um, you know, um, reassurance is worth its weight in gold. And I wish more of my patients would just trust uh, themselves and those feelings that they have when they feel like something might be wrong, right? If we, if they have the feeling and they come in and they get the workup done and everything looks okay, well then great. They get their reassurance, right? But sometimes it allows us to identify problems early before they would become a problem uh, later on down the road. Yeah. Before they become a bigger problem. I really like that. I'm also a spiritual person and I'm all for listening to your body. I've, I have had an emergency C-section and it was my first one. So it scared me for all the other ones. And sometimes I probably was a little over paranoid, but like you said, just trusting and going and going in extra if I needed to, to have that peace of mind or to figure out what we needed to do next is very important. So I really, really appreciate that insight. Um, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Um, I really appreciate your insights on bleeding and pregnancy. And if you are a local 
find Dr. Adams. He's a great doctor and can't recommend him more. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I don't deserve that, but thank you. <laughs> you bet. Thank you for being a part of the Meliora Mentor Podcast, for listening, for sharing, and for most of all, applying these tools into your own life to improve your own happiness so that you can find your own better thoughts for a better you and a better life through taking small steps in thought or action to reach your goal. If you are one of those individuals who have an inner desire but are having a difficult time making progress in your goals, I can help you find the small, doable steps without drastic changes to your everyday life. Reach out, let's connect, and let's see you move forward. My name is Jocelyn, and I thank you for listening. Until next time.